Proverbs Sermon Series. If you're new, if you're visiting, uh, my name is Jason Ya, and I am the pastor here at Uptown, and we will love to get to know you. We will love for you to get to know us, uh, especially in this time where it's really easy for us to just isolate ourselves, and we recognize the need for just some type of relationality and some type of social connection. Um, all the more, please do not hesitate. Uh, we've met so many people over the past year or so for the very first time over Zoom. So I know it feels awkward for everybody, but again, like I mentioned earlier, uh, God has nonetheless been moving powerfully through all of this. So don't be shy. Feel free to email us, message us, whatever uh, is within your comfort zone. So we are continuing on in our sermon series on Proverbs. Um, you'll notice on the just the YouTube um, screen that there is a phone number if you have any questions about the sermon, any prayer, uh, any prayer requests. All of those things can be texted and they're all anonymous and we look at that as part of our worship. We'll reflect upon all those things at the conclusion of our sermon. Um, also, I do want to encourage everybody to jot down notes, especially where we are doing worship kind of remotely. It's easy for us not to be as engaged and it's easy for us to forget things. So please, uh, one thing that we've been doing over the past couple months that have been very profitable for all of us is to journal and to write down anything that you feel like the Spirit is placing on your heart. Um, so the topic of today's sermon is really the plans and pride of humanity. Uh, one of the great things about humans and also one of the downfalls of humans is we know how to plan things uh, just inherently. Uh, even if you're not much of a planner, if there's something that you're very passionate about, you can't help but to scheme or plan your way to obtain that thing. Whether it's something as simple as, I don't know, food, or whether it's something a little bit more complex like a, a degree or a promotion at work or a relationship. All of us, whether we are planners or not, we plan, we scheme because we have these desires and we know that some of these desires are unobtainable instantaneously, so we plan and we scheme for it. Well, the Proverbs, the, uh, um, the passage that we're going to be, or the chapter that we're focus on is Proverbs 16. And if you read Proverbs 16, just like any other chapter of the Proverbs, it seems like it's a bunch of random proverbial sayings. But one of the things about Proverbs 16 is repeated over and over again is the idea of the plans that humans make. And on the flip side, it can also be our downfall because it's also a sign and expression of our pride and our arrogance. And like I mentioned, every human plans, it's just part of who we are. And I'm, one of the questions I hear a lot from our Uptown community is, where do I draw the line between planning and being industrious and being resourceful and not being lazy and being faithful? And at the same time, where's that line between that and actually being proud and not depending upon God? Where is that line? And I think the Proverbs is a great place for us to look at. Uh, it doesn't spell out all the details, but when we look at the Proverbs, and then when we take a step back and look at all of Scripture, it provides us very good guidelines as far as where is that gray area. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so Proverbs 16, we're going to, again, look at some other passages that help, especially Colossians chapter 1. Let me pray for us, and then we'll begin. Father, we want to thank you again for this time. Uh, like you said in John chapter 4 to the Samaritan woman, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. And Lord, 
that was in direct context to the idea of how can people worship when we don't have access to a temple? How can people worship when we are physically distant from one another? And you said so clearly, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. And we thank you for that. We thank you that the power of your spirit is not limited to things like a lockdown or a pandemic. And we have tasted and experienced that over the past year and a half. We're so thankful. And we see that throughout scripture. Israel was exiled. Your people in the New Testament in some ways were exiled and yet worship never ceased. And we pray that the worship that we have to offer to you, we confess it's meager. We confess it's divided. We confess that our trust, our passion, our love for you is very, very fickle. But we present these things in the name of your son Jesus by the blood that he has shed for us. And because of that, we have confidence that you would accept it and that you'll be pleased. Holy Spirit, may you use your word and may you penetrate into our hearts and allow us to experience and to be reminded how the gospel and the authority and the power of Jesus, they know no bounds, even in the areas of the way we plan, the way we work, and the ways that sometimes we also fall into arrogance and pride. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So like I mentioned, the focus of today's sermon is Proverbs 16. We're not going to be able to read every single proverb, so I highlighted a few, and we're going to explore these, take a step back, see what all the scripture says about some of these ideas and principles. And all of this is, again, to point to the heart of God, and more specifically, the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So... Before we read Proverbs, this is one of my favorite verses. Uh, we've read this throughout, if you've been part of Uptown, because it's so important. This is Colossians chapter 1, and I think this is really important for us to be able to understand uh, what Proverbs 16 is trying to say. So let me read this for us, and I'll highlight a few things that I think are very important. Uh, Jesus, Paul is writing about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, I just want us to emphasize the repetitiveness, which is purposeful in this passage. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Um, and if you know about all things held, that's where we're getting it from, Colossians 1, 17. All things were created by Jesus. Everything that we know, not just in this earth, but in the heavens, the visible and invisible, the thrones or dominions or rulers. I mean, Paul is making it very clear. He's spelling it out, all different categories, whether it's visible or invisible. And he repeats all things, what, one, two, three, four, five times? I mean, he really wants to emphasize that everything has been created by Jesus. Everything, including the things that we plan for, our objects of desire, including our work, including just literally everything. There's, there's no way to exaggerate that. However, something that I think is also equally important, uh, actually maybe even more important, is notice, it says, for by Jesus all things were created. So Jesus is responsible for all these things that have been created. But notice at the end of verse 16, all things were created through Jesus. So it's through his wisdom, through his word, through his power. And Paul goes 
out of his way. Not only was it created by Jesus, not only was it created through Jesus, but he also says it was created for Jesus. So not only is Jesus the author of everything that we can possibly imagine in reality, in existence, not only was it created through his power, through his wisdom, through his love, but everything points back to Jesus. It was created for his glory. It was created for his pleasure, for his honor. Everything that we can possibly think of, your work, the relationships that you desire, the, I don't know, the, the ambitions that you have in life, some of the values that our society holds, all of these things are all created not only by and through Jesus, but it was created for his glory, for his pleasure, not for our pleasure ultimately. I mean, we get to be recipients and enjoy these things, but ultimately it points to his pleasure. For he is above all things and in him all things hold together. Small plug for the conversations we're going to be having in the summer. All things held, everything, including controversial topics like sexuality, gender, abortion. What are some of the other things that people voted on? Everything is held together by the wisdom, authority, supremacy, power, the love of Jesus. And all these are directed back to him. Now that's really important uh, for us to understand, to be reminded of before we zoom into Proverbs 16. So now that we have that, and if you have any questions about that, feel free to text away because I know that's a mouthful. I mean, it's a lot for us to process. It will take really all of eternity for us to really fully grasp what I just read. Uh, now let's move on to Proverbs 16. So the verses that I want us to focus on is two first, is Proverbs 16, 3. And here the uh, Solomon writes, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Uh, I think for many of us, we have a very superficial understanding of verses that are similar to this. And I'm going to explain in a second why that superficial understanding is not sufficient. There's a lot more depth. We see another verse, a similar, in just a few verses later. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So you get this idea. You do all this work. You do all the planning, you do all the scheming, you try to do everything. You do your best and let God do the rest. I think that's a slogan that people like to think that that is like a great way of kind of balancing between those two gray areas. But again, it's much deeper than that. But when we look at these verses, we kind of have this superficial understanding. I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to com be committed. I'm going to do my work. I'm going to, the heart of man plans his way. Like I'm going to make sure I'm responsible. I do my best. And now let God take care of the rest. Simple. Everything is easy. God will establish my plans. God will establish my steps. And in some ways, that is true. But there's something that we typically miss. Because here it says, commit your work to the Lord. It doesn't just say, be committed to your work and your plans will be established which is the way I think many of us understand and remember verses like this, but it says, commit your work to the Lord. Now, just let, let that sink in a little bit. All of the work that we do, and I'm not just talking about our office job, the work that we do in our vocation as a parent, as a stay-at-home parent or raising kids, or whether it is the work that we do for church or the work that we do for our parents or the work that we do for our family. All of the work that we do, commit it to 
the Lord. Everything. It's as if we're doing it to Jesus. And it may not make much sense because you're thinking, well, what does the things that I do as a software programmer have to do with Jesus? I'm doing it for my employer because I have a performance review coming up in three months. I'm doing it so that I can cash in on that bonus. I'm doing it so that I can just keep my job security. Proverbs says, commit everything to the Lord. And the reason why this makes sense is because of what we read earlier, Colossians 1. Everything has been created by, through, and not only by and through, but for Jesus, including our work, including our vocation. I know in our natural, fleshly, physical state, when we think about our work, we're just thinking, I just need to get the job done before I get fired. But the spiritual reality is the work that God has placed you, that was created by Jesus. The fact that you have that job, that was done through Jesus' wisdom, and it's done for Jesus' glory, not for your pleasure, not for your paycheck, but ultimately for Jesus. And therefore, even in that work, you must commit it to the Lord. This really emphasizes the holiness of God. How <laughs> there's not a shadow of our existence. There is not an ounce of anything. There's not a square millimeter of this universe that does not belong to Jesus. And therefore, it makes sense. Everything that we do, all the work that we do, it needs to be committed to Jesus. Uh, there are a few other things that I think will help us understand just this. It's a really radical teaching. The first is the holiness of God, like I just mentioned. There are four other things that I want to just briefly talk about. And each one of these four things can really be a sermon on its own. So, yeah, I'll try to keep it short. And hopefully it's not too short where you don't really understand what I'm trying to say. The second thing is not only God's holiness. The second thing is God's character. It's, uh, if you read through your Bible, and a bunch of us, we read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation last year. It's very, very peculiar how God introduces himself to humanity. I mean, if you just read Genesis chapter 1 to 3. It's very radical. It's similar in some ways to other creation accounts of the ancient Mesopotamian societies. But in other ways, it's just radically subversive because God actually portrays himself as a worker. He portrays himself as somebody who is working. He takes pride in his work. There's a, a methodology. There is, there is this work ethic in the ways that he's creating the universe. And in many ways, and he even says explicitly, God rested on the seventh day from his work. And when you look at other creation accounts, it's very interesting because the reason why these guys create humans is because these guys don't want to work. In a lot of ways, our God, he presents himself not as a white-collared master of the universe who sits comfortably on his throne with his legs kicked up. But the way Genesis 1-3 to portrays God is he is a blue-collared worker who enjoys work. Work is something valuable. He's not creating humans so that somebody else can do the work for him. He's creating humans because he wants to identify with them. And that leads to the next part. Is not only is God portraying himself as a worker, as his first impression to humanity, but when he creates Adam and Eve, what does he make them do at first? It's not, now that you have been created, I want you to sing songs to me. 
I want you to pray to me. I want you to worship. I want you to sacrifice. No, he says, I'm putting you to work. Work the garden. And again, if you read Genesis 1 to 3 just very carefully and without thinking about all of the misunderstandings that we bring into the text, it's very clear. Not only does God portray himself as a blue-collared worker, but he also, the first assignment that God places for humans is for us to work. And thirdly, when Adam and Eve fall because of their sin and their disobedience and their lack of trust to God, what does God curse Adam with? Out of all the things, he curses Adam not just you're going to go bald or you're going to experience a lot of physical diseases. He curses him in the realm of what? Work. Work is something that is so intrinsic, inherent, so intertwined to God's character. And therefore, we see why even in the area of work, everything that we do, God takes it very seriously. You know, I know for some of us, we're thinking, well, what about my work? And any industry that you're working in, any occupation that you're working in, you can trace those qualities directly back to God's qualities, His character. I mean, for some of us, we're in the medical field. When we think about healing people, I mean, throughout scripture, we see God really caring about the biological health of humans. Even though he's a spiritual being, he still cares about healing us from a physical standpoint. When we think about, I don't know, some of us are lawyers. When we think about contracts, covenants, about the law, those things are from God's character, his mind, the way he interacts with humans, and the way he inherently is. When we think about anything, I don't know, some of us are what software developers. When we think about just the logic and the methodology and just being very predictable and designing things in a very, in a, in a long-lasting, thoughtful way, where do we get those qualities from? It's from God. I mean, look at the way God designed the temple. Look at the way God instructed Moses with the Mosaic law. All those things, it is done in a very methodological way, in a very logical way in a way that any senior tech design would just be overwhelmed when we think that these things were written millennia ago. The second reason why work is something that is so important to God is because not only His holiness, all of it belongs to God, but His character. He inherently cares dearly about work. All work. Uh, the other three things I'll mention is more specific to those who are in Christ. Um, you know, as we sang earlier, as Terry led us, the sacrifice that God has made for us, and even as uh, we we're praying, all of us, we are sinners. And all of us, we fall woefully short of God's grace. But out of His love, despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite us always shutting God out of our lives, he pursued after us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. And therefore, not we are no longer enemies of God, who are rebels before him, but now we are children of God because of the death of Jesus that forgives all of our sin. And one of the blessings, the benefits of being children of God is not just a spiritual thing where we get to sing cool songs every Sunday morning and we get to be a part of a great social club that does a bunch of things throughout the week. No, it's far deeper, much more comprehensive than that. Even in the area of our work, 
we can experience the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Because now we are children of God. And when we are the children of God, God cares deeply about our work. He is very interested in our work. Um, you know, just as a, a way to kind of illustrate that, the fact that God cares about our work. It's not just that he's holy. It's not just that God cares about work in general, but he cares about your work in particular. Um, you know, I think for many of us, uh, the lockdown has been a challenge for a variety of reasons. And for some of us who are teachers or who have young children, you know that for a pedagogical reason, education-wise, online learning is very difficult. Even as adults, it's difficult. Just imagine for little children. So, you know, for me, I'm a father of three kids. We set up our office right there where all of us, we are basically in like few arms length away as we are working and studying together. And, you know, like the kids, they're not as motivated, you know, and they're learning some bad habits of alt-tab, switching their screen. Even though we're in close proximity, they're not learning the best habits. And it's hard for me to just keep them focused and dedicated at, with their work. One of the things that I've noticed that has been really helpful is when I ask them, what are you learning? What's your project like? What kind of homework assignments are you working on? And when a parent expresses interest in the child's work, that really is probably the most effective way for the child to not only take his or her work seriously, but for he or she to focus and to be dedicated on his or her work. And similarly here, like we have a God who really cares about everything that we do. He's very relational, far more relational than we can possibly imagine. And the work that you do, I know it sounds monotonous. I know it sounds not very meaningful. If you share it with somebody in your life group or whatever, they may not be like, wow, that's exciting. You're changing people's lives. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. For God, for somebody who values work, for somebody who is the one who is sovereign, who placed you in that work situation, who is the one who made sure that you got that interview, who made sure that you had the requisite skills to be able to qualify for that interview and to get the job and to not get fired, to get through the training, all these things, is by his sovereign hand that you are exactly where you are. He cares very deeply about your work. He cares very deeply about what are some of the projects, homework you're working on, or what are you learning about? And it may not be the work per se that is very gratifying or educational or informative, but you might be learning a lot about things, a lot of meta things. For instance, the value of dedication, the value of just being disciplined with work, the value of just doing things even though you don't feel like it, even though you're not very motivated, but doing it because you're just a worker. And this is what a good worker is supposed to do. God is very, very concerned about our work, the things that we do, not just in the church walls, but, I don't know, the block of code that you're trying to write or the patient that you're trying to treat and diagnose or that contract that you're trying to read through and interpret. Whatever occupation you find yourself in, God cares very deeply. Because again, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are his children. And just like any ideal parent, they care very deeply about his or her child's work. 
you know, it's funny because when we think about this parent-child connection, it's so, it's so, I don't know what's a better word. It's such a like strong, vicarious link. Like for instance, one of the things I do for exercise is I like to jump rope, you know? So I've been, jump, I, I was, I jump rope here and there, but last night was the first time that my kids saw me jump rope. And I was just jump roping, doing my exercise. I made sure that they weren't close enough because it could really swipe their face. So, you know, they're watching me jump rope. And then this morning, <laughs> as I'm preparing for my sermon, I see some of my children out in the backyard. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to jump rope. And it's just one of those things where, as a parent, it's genetics. It could be, you know, the, what is it, nurture versus nature. Whatever it is, there is a vicarious link that is undeniable. You can resist it all you want, but it's still there. Similarly for us, we, now that we are children of God through Jesus' death and resurrection, our God loves to work. Work is very important for Him. As we become more like Jesus, one of the benefits of that is we will also become better workers in our respective fields as well. There is a vicarious link that you can't quite resist. It is part of our DNA. It's part of our, the way we relate with God. Uh, the last two points that I'll mention with work, because I feel like this is very relevant for a lot of us, is so how do we commit our work to the Lord? And there are two very, I mean, there are many practical ways, and it really depends on your situation, but two ways that I think would be most helpful when I think about our uptown congregation. One is to be thankful. And I don't mean thankful in this generic sense that our society praises is just be thankful. Always look for a silver lining or always just consider how other people are worse off than you. No, I'm saying be thankful to God, like specifically to God. In your work situation, it's not just be thankful, just have a thankful mindset. That's not what I'm talking about. But specifically be thankful to God. Like I mentioned earlier, be thankful that it is by God's sovereign hand that you have this job. Or you may be complaining that you have this job. Be thankful that God has placed you in this job even though it's not comfortable, even though there's a lot of politics, even though it's very stressful, even though it's very overwhelming. God is trying to make you more like Christ through this. Be thankful to God for that. Be thankful that God is developing your work ethic. God is teaching you patience. God is teaching you diligence. God is teaching you all of these virtues that will enable us to become more like Jesus. Be thankful. And you know, when you get that promotion or when you get whatever it may be, be that that is from God's hand. And when you don't get that promotion or when you do get those roadblocks, be thankful because it just means that your hope is not in those things. Your hope is in God. No matter what, be thankful towards God. Uh, the last thing that I'll mention with work is the other practical way to commit our work to the Lord is this humble confidence or this confident humility. Uh, either way, I think works. It's, it's you, you have this humility where you know that the success of your work is really dependent on God. Again, He's the one who's sovereign. He's the one who created everything. Everything is created for Him. Everything is created through Him. This humility that you really need God's wisdom. 
but this confidence, knowing that not only do you need God, who is the source of all wisdom, the source of all work ethic, but he is your father. So all those things that you need from him, he will generously give to you. I mean, if one of my children, if they're struggling with something, and I know that I can help them, I mean, there's a part of me as a parent, I want them to struggle to learn through it because I don't want to silver spoon them, spoon feed them. But eventually, I will make sure that they overcome that. There's a confidence that is inevitable. It's going to happen. And similarly for us with our work, there will be many situations, whether it is relational problems, whether it's political problems, whether it's just feeling overwhelmed. And again, I'm not just talking about office jobs, even our vocation location of raising children, being a homemaker, like you can extend these principles everywhere. There is a humility that we need to depend on God and stop trusting in yourself, stop trusting in the world. But there's also a confidence that everything that we need, it really comes from God. We need more love. We need more wisdom. We need more strength. We need more work ethic. Guess where those things come from? Guess who is the author of all those things? God. And there is this confidence or this confident humility. Uh, I remember, you know, back when I was working in software development, I was like so junior, like bottom of the totem pole. And a lot of my coworkers and my superiors, I mean, they're really smart. And not only were they smart, but the other side of the coin, which is just a, a potent combination, is they were so passionate about work. They worked all the time. I mean, I've told you stories where even as one of their, uh, as you know, one of my coworkers, as his wife was delivering a baby, they're working in the deliver in the operation room as she's in labor. I mean, this was very common. They love working. They're very passionate about it. They were just rock stars. Our company was not only in the Fortune 500, but it was one of the top companies. I mean, these were just really smart, dedicated, passionate people. They just love problem solving. You know, like it just excited them. And I was like the lowest on the totem pole. And there's this one client who was experiencing problems with our software that was going on for years. And it was intermittent, so it was hard for us to diagnose the problem. And you know, like, we have the big brains in the room. They're trying to fix it, problem solve it. They're looking through the code, through the logs, through everything. They're doing different tests. We're trying to replicate it in our servers and just nothing. And, you know, like, this was the client that I was assigned to. And I was just kind of thinking through it. I was looking through all the things that had been done. And I'm just thinking, there's no, there's no way that I can figure this out. But I was thinking at the same time, God blessed me. He put me here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a worker here. You know, like I can do something. I can contribute. This is part of God's sovereign plan. His, he's blessed me with the mind of Christ. He's given me wisdom. So I shouldn't, I might sell myself short, but I shouldn't sell God short. So I was thinking, you know what? Maybe I can figure this thing out. And I was reading through it, you know, a few nights later, I was just kind of thinking through it, mulling it over. And I remember just like, I was thinking, you know what? I think this may have something to do with, uh, with something I learned back in university. I think there was this one lecture and I uploaded all my lecture files. So I accessed it. I was going through all the lectures and I finally found the slide. And there was this one little asterisk saying, in rare situations, in a situation like this, you may want to look into this and it points to a textbook, right? And I look up the textbook, I look up the page number and lo and behold, that was the solution to this particular problem. And for me, that was 
just one out of several instances where, yeah, I didn't think left to myself, like, no, like I, I didn't have the intellect. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the industry knowledge. It's, no, but there are many moments where I shined and it wasn't me, but it was because I just knew that God is with me. God is the one who's going to give me everything that I need. And there was this humble confidence or this confident humility. And even in our work situations, there may be situations where you just feel so overwhelmed, where you just feel so tired. I don't know what it might be, but know for certain that everything that you need to overcome, it's really God is the author of those things. And He is your Father. And you are His child because of Jesus. There is a humble confidence or this confident humility in everything that we do. And because of that, we want to commit our work to the Lord. Like when we look at it that way, it's not like, oh, it's another checklist that I need to fill out. I need to think about God at work now. No, no, it's not that. It, it, part of it is that because He is holy and He demands all of our worship. But another side of that is, wow, God is so relational. He cares about me. He wants to know what I'm learning. He himself is a blue-collar worker. He himself is the author of all the things that I need. He will be the one who gives me the requisite abilities, attributes. I want to commit my work to the Lord. Why would I want to work in any other way than to work in Christ? And that leads us to uh, the last point, the last set of verses that I don't think we need to talk about too much because I think this point has been well established, is the other side of the coin in Proverbs 16 is not only the plans of humanity, like plans aren't bad, just plan it to the Lord, work to the Lord, but what happens when you don't plan and work to the Lord? How does God respond to that? Well, we see several verses in that. Uh, oh, sorry, before we move on, this is one of my favorite verses, uh, the Psalm of Moses. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, I pray this for myself. I pray this for my wife. I pray this for all of us who are working. Is God, please grant your favor upon this sister or brother. And establish the work of his or her hands. And notice Moses says it twice. And again, this is a direct continuation of the curse that God placed on work. On Adam, starting back Genesis 1 to 3. Moses recognized work is important, and he says it quite establish the work of our hands. Um, but let's move on. Proverbs 16, like I mentioned, what happens when you are not working to the Lord and when you are not planning to the Lord? Well, there are these verses. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. I mean, there are other, there, these are just samples. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Uh, I don't think I need to explain these too much. They're very straightforward. Um, just with the caveat that I mentioned maybe a couple of weeks ago, Proverbs are proverbial sayings. So this is about probability. So obviously there are exceptions to this. So don't think, oh, well, you know, what about that one case that's an exception to this, and therefore the Proverbs are wrong. No, that, by definition, that's not what a proverb is. They're not predictions, they're Proverbs. What's most probable? What are some ways of, of wisdom? 
But beyond that, I, I don't think there needs to be much interpretation other than for us to just read through this and reflect upon it. Let me read through it once more. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Um, you know, I think sometimes the word of God is just best left uninterpreted. Sometimes. So I just want to give us a moment. Just read through those on our own and allow the spirit to just interrogate our hearts to see if maybe God is gently in his love warning us. So I'm just going to allow us to just read through these. Jot down anything that the Spirit may be placing on our heart. Yeah, I'll be the first one to confess that uh, I think these verses definitely apply to me. Like, I, as much as I have a theology of how to work and all these different things, there are moments where, yeah, my pride, my ambition, my ego, those things get the best of me and I get lost. And that happens. And I think these verses are a great reminder for me to repent. And I loved our congregational prayer as it began with repentance. Repentance is truly the love language of our relationship with God. These verses isn't, oh, have I not been arrogant? Uh, maybe I'm not really, no, we, we, we fall into this. And what these verses are intended to do is not to check if we're okay, but it's more remind us, we need to repent. And we need to be reminded of the reality that our God loves us so much. He cares for us. Why else would we want to work and plan any other way? Um, you know, earlier, I'll wrap it up with this, but earlier I mentioned that one of the blessings of the gospel, like there are so many blessings, um, is, you know, there's definitely a spiritual reality that has just been transformed. We have an eternal security. There's a joy and a peace that's unshakable. I mean, the list goes on and on. But one thing that I feel like the church has not been emphasizing enough, which is clear in scripture, is that we will become better workers. Our work will become more worshipful. And I mentioned earlier how, you know, when you look at work throughout Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, that begins with God introducing himself as the worker, he creates humans to work, and there's this rapport that God establishes with humans through work. And then Adam and Eve, they fall, so what does God curse? Out of the many things he could have cursed, it's work. And then we see Psalm 90 where Moses says, please establish the work of our hands, grant favor upon us, give us some sense of redemption from this curse. And that's why work is difficult. And at the same time, that's why work can be rewarding because we're in this weird already not yet where we're cursed by work, but at the same time we experience these blessings because he is giving us favor and he is establishing the work of our hands. And then we fast forward to Jesus, where, as I mentioned, if we are becoming more like Jesus, we are becoming an ideal worker. And it's interesting. I hope this doesn't feel like we're going all around scripture, but this is important. Is, you know, John chapter 5, the Gospel of John, one of the things that is a very prominent theme is Jesus doesn't portray himself as a missionary. 
or a rabbi or a teacher or a pastor like these things that that context would have expected instead Jesus portrays himself as a son of God who works and he uses the word work repeatedly and he uses the word work in areas that wow it causes a lot of conflict here's one example you know they're talking about Sabbath for instance and the religious leaders they're very they're very suspicious towards Jesus because they're thinking if you are the Messiah and the Son of God then why are you breaking all of our laws why are you working on the Sabbath and we see this and in this way uh, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath as, as we know in Jewish tradition and in their law you don't work on the Sabbath this is a day of rest and it's a very very um, egregious violation against God but Jesus answered to them notice what he says notice the words that he uses my father is working until now and I am working I, I mean just think about it Sabbath is all about prohibiting work Jesus could have easily said my father is healing people now and I am also healing he could have said, my father is loving and saving people, and therefore I am also saving. And if you look at the Jewish law back in that time, healing and saving, that was an exceptional case where you can do it on the Sabbath. He could have said, my God is a missionary, and therefore I am a missionary even on Sabbath. My God is ministering to people, and therefore he could have used a lot of different words. But Jesus says, I am working. And not only does he say, I am working, and it's not just here, but just throughout the Gospel of John. He says, my father, he's working, even now. And therefore, me, as a son of God, which is part of the theme of Gospel of John, is he's trying to say, I am truly the son of God. If I am the son of God, then therefore, I will also work. There is this vicarious link that is undeniable. And I think for all of us, how does this apply to us? We are in Christ. Like I mentioned, what Jesus has done means not just a ticket to heaven, but every waking moment of our existence. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. We are becoming more like Jesus, whether we like it or not. And one of the qualities of Jesus, I mean, we celebrate his love, which we should. We celebrate his wisdom, which we should. But he's also a worker. Very dedicated. Very industrious very capable, very faithful. And you can be sure that all of his work was committed to the Father. And some of us may be thinking, oh, but you know, that's Jesus' work. You know, he's really talking about, you know, evangelism. No, I mean, just think about Jesus' life. His ministry, quote unquote, was only the last three years of his 30-some years of life. All of his work, most of it was him being a carpenter. And I bet he carpented I don't know if that's a verb, but he worked to the Lord, even during those 20 to 30 some years. As we walk with Christ, one of the things that God does is he enables us to not only value work, but to work to the Lord, work in Christ, where we can experience the, the Father's character, his holiness, his intense interest, his all the capabilities that we need. And that should lead us to have a, a thankful heart. So we'll close our time with this at this point. I don't know if there is uh, 
there is um, any questions, prayer requests, or prayer topics. But before we go there, I do want to give us a moment. Um, you know, a lot of these things when we engage in God's word, the best thing to do sometimes is just to be silent and allow the spirit to speak to us, allow the spirit to prompt us. He may be placing a situation or a particular warrior, whatever it may be. I just want us to be still before God. And again, if the spirit is placing anything, write it down, jot it down, because otherwise we'll probably forget. So let's take a moment and allow the spirit to speak to us before we move on to the next part of our worship. <laughs> 